Gospel according to St. John, chapter 15, and we start at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. It's just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commandments so that you may love one another. This, this is good news, the gospel of the Lord. Good morning. I would like to invite Rachel. Now, uh, it's interesting. I've known Rachel's mother since she was 16 years old. And when I was on staff at uh, Brazil Nazarene Church, and uh, this is her daughter. She's 21 years old. And I, I thought, wow, this will be interesting, because in January, we did this, we were planning a series titled Resurrection Stories. Mm -hmm. And so in February, when Jennifer and I were in San Francisco, I get a text from Rachel. And she goes, can we talk? And I said, sure. And so she asked me, she said, I would like to share my story in your church. And I said, that's crazy, because I know her story. <laughs> and I said, and if you know Rachel, she's not this, it's me, it's me. She's very shy. She's very quiet. But this is part of her healing. In fact, it got to the point where Jennifer, my wife, said, are you sure? she knows her story too and I said well let me put her way off to May 6th <laughs> and so I text her today I text her last week I said you're scheduled for the 6th are you, are you okay with this and she said yes and so she's going to read her story and uh, I'm going to interrupt her a little because she has tendencies to read real fast and so but I really want you to listen to every part of her story because of her 21-year-old who's gone through what she's gone through. It's just a miracle that she's here. And so let's start. So my goal today is to be an advocate of perseverance. And the first time I heard that word, it was used something on the lines of, the opposite of depression is not happiness, but per perseverance. 
and that really stuck with me. Growing up, I had the typical daddy issues. I had become a victim of sexual abuse by someone I had trusted and been exposed and witnessed to physical abuse between my parents. By 18, I had gone through two therapists. I had been put on antidepressants and a series of restless nights, naturally feeling, feeling utterly sorry for myself. Okay, can you see that? At 18 years old, already. And so this is what you don't expect as a young child, to be going through something deep. And so, okay, continue. Uh, but once my life had settled and things were normal, I was still so unhappy. I couldn't really understand why. Things had gotten significantly better between my father and I, and I had an amazing family, supportive friends, and a steady job. But that unspoken sadness and most of all loneliness became so real and loud, it became unbearable. Now for the people around me, they could guess I was struggling, but not to the severity of it. I can remember when my mom had pointed out one day how busy I had become, and that I was never still. And I remember I took a deep breath and the exhaustion hit me. I felt it in my chest, my stomach, my shoulders ached, my eyes became really heavy, and just, I felt it everywhere. But of course, I tensed up my body to keep from showing it, proving to not only her, but myself, that I wasn't tired and I was okay. It becomes so easy, after all, no one questions you when you do your makeup every day and your hair, and it looks like on the outside you have everything put together. And you could pass the daily, how are you? And the typical, oh, good, how are you? And but, which, of course, only added to exhaustion and the loneliness. Do you get that? You ever do that? You come to church? How you doing? Great. Praise God. Doing great. And deep down, you're just empty inside. But yet, you project this persona. And that's what she was doing with her family. Just hiding that. Okay. So eventually, I found myself taking it out on my body. Um, my left forearm, mostly. I started... Um, Self-harming, and... What is it called? Self? Self-harming. Okay, so you started cutting yourself. Yes. Okay. Um, because all of my pain was all internal, and I only knew the severity of it. And the deep scars I had created only justified my pain and became real. Uh, nobody died, I wasn't def deathly sick, and I didn't have any terrible condition to make me feel this horrible. So here it is. Uh, the justification to myself that I was truly hurting. So in a sense, you were cutting yourself mm -hmm. to show the pain that was going through, mm -hmm. correct? Okay. Yeah, it was the, because ev all of the pain that I had was internal, um, to feel it physically became more real for me. Um, and to see the physical pain on my body that I had created, um, it became more real and nobody could take that away from you because here it is, it's right here. This is, what I, this is how I'm showing it. And yeah, okay. so. so it only became easier when nobody in my house seemed to notice that I started wearing watches and long sleeves on random hot days. Suddenly I almost craved the pain and when the scars started to fade, I would get anxiety and go back with my blades so that I wouldn't forget. Okay, so you would hide it. Mm -hmm. Why, why, because it's interesting, you were talking about wearing long sleeves. Mm -hmm. Is there a part of you that wanted to ask for help, or you just said, no, I'm just going to keep this struggle with myself? So you cut yourself and then hide the cut. Mm -hmm. It's almost like you're hiding the emotional mm -hmm. scars, too. Yeah, it was, it was more for me. Okay. Um, and I was angry that nobody had noticed, because it was 
to me, what was going through my head was how can we be in such close quarters in this house and nobody know how severe my how severe it was for for me and you know and um, and so it you know it honestly really hurt me but they're human beings you know they make mistakes and I had to eventually give them grace for that because it's not their fault you know what I mean it's it's mine and um, so I had to kind of come to terms with that and so eventually I was like this is my burden to carry and so I just you know continued on with it. Um, the funny part is, as angry and hurt as I was, that my family hadn't noticed my silent cry for help. The day my mom sat me down and asked me what was going on, the first thing that came out of my mouth was, well, this is kind of random. Why are you ask- Why are you bringing this up? See the deflection? Don't we do that? When somebody asks you, because you, deep down you want someone to ask you, but when they do, you deflect. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you learn, deflection. So as soon as it was time to fess up to what I had done, what I had been doing to myself, I wasn't really ready to let go of it. My, my therapist calls it uh, addicted to suffering. I became so comfortable with discomfort, it was all I grew to know. I lived in it, but the same day that discussion took place, I found myself checked into a mental hospital, uh, in which I spent Thanksgiving in and the next four days. But if I'm being honest, I wouldn't have changed that experience for the world. But your, so your mother, mm-hmm. because of your dad, your dad noticed it first. Yeah. And went to your mother and said, you got to focus on Rachel. Mm-hmm. And then, so is, did she force you to go to the hospital? Or no, she didn't. Um, okay. I mean, I knew, I knew I wasn't going to fight against it. Um, I knew that if I continued the path that I was going down, it would have gone a lot worse. And um, in a sense... There is something in me that I didn't want that to happen. As much as I um, dug myself in this hole and, and was like, okay, I'm, no, I, I put myself in this position, I'm going to stay in this position. A part of me was like, this is really tearing me apart. This is, you know, this is really um, internally just tearing me apart. And I, I was like, I, okay, like I need to get help then because I don't know how uh, far it's going to take me. So during Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. just last Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. you were in a mental hospital. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. So I met so many people, all of which had one thing in common. Um, all 30 of us, ages ranging from 18 to 40 years old, all tried or wished to end our lives. The gig was up, and we could all stop pretending. I have never seen so many vulnerable people in one place in my life, and it was almost beautiful. She's in a mental hospital with people like-minded, a community of people that can't BS each other. And she says it was beautiful. Okay. So now spiritually, my prayers always started with, God, I just want to be happy and that's it. As I wished and prayed for almost all my birthdays, I found it difficult though to talk about my relationship with God. I am constantly hearing, leave it to God, trust that he will provide. Do you ever get that? Trust God. He'll provide you going, how? <laughs> okay. Yeah. But how could I trust someone that I couldn't see and at times couldn't feel? Yes, it would be nice to give up the worries I spent hours laying in bed every morning and night doing. But how could I begin to trust him or anyone with my feelings and worries? I so easily tossed and denied. I had every reason not to even trust myself. Yet everything in my body told me to take the rings and do what I feel is best. 
clearly that hasn't gone so well for me. So spiritual warfare had taken a front seat in my life, that I began to see shadows on my walls and feel a presence when I was by myself. I knew it wasn't in my head. When the night before I went into the hospital, my best friend and I woke up with horrible stomach aches and raging headaches. Later on, I found out that both my mom and my stepdad woke up with horrible headaches as well in the middle of the night and both felt an evil presence in our house. Remember the Bible says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but the principalities of this world. There is a spiritual warfare that goes on. That's why we're called a human being. Being means spiritual. And so there is a battle. Go ahead. I was completely filled with guilt for bringing that into my house and felt completely terrified the first couple nights. My prayers then turned into, please protect my house, myself, and everyone in it from whatever it is that I'm seeing on my walls every night. I didn't know what else to do or say at that point. Uh, the first week I got out of the hospital was probably one of the hardest weeks of my life. Not only was I battling spiritual warfare, warfare still, but my body had gone through so much physical trauma. I had lost 10 pounds in three months from not eating, and my anxiety had become so severe that I developed a twitch. And talking, even just responding back to people, had become too physically and emotionally uncomfortable and painful for me, so I chose to stay quiet. One morning, my mom woke me up to take me for a walk, and, but, I was, but I was so weak that she held me with one arm wrapped around my waist and, one of, and my arm slung around her shoulder for support. I couldn't believe it. I remember staring at myself in the mirror, touching my bony shoulders, and watched as every single one of my pants sagged on my body. I was weak, vulnerable, and slowly wanted to watch my body wither away. At that point, the side effects from the medication they I was put on only made things worse, and the thoughts of suicide increased. The one thought that became really haunting to me was that I was stuck with myself for the rest of my life. That's a deep, deep statement. Because that's why people commit their suicide. They lose hope, and they're stuck with themselves. Mm -hmm. Okay. I couldn't wrap my head around that. I was so angry and so frustrated, but that very thought was what has helped me slowly dig myself out of my very own hell. The lack of self-love and neglect I had shown myself showed and spilled at the seams, and I realized and thought long and hard that I had gone through too much to drive myself to the ground because I didn't love myself enough. I had to stop waiting for that feeling of being ready because I would have been waiting my whole life for that feeling to come. I decided I would take things day by day, and that was all I could promise myself. Now, to make things perfectly clear, I am nowhere near where I want to be when modeling what self-love looks like. I'm, I still have one foot in the struggle while the other is significantly planted in, in being better. And what the funny part is, is that when I told my therapist that I wanted to do this, she said, you know, don't you think you kind of want to be far, further along in your path with, um, you know, being more healthier uh, emotionally? Because, you know, the last session that we had last week, you said you don't see a future past 30 years old. And I said, no, that's part of my vulnerability for you guys to see. You know, I, I don't want to come up here being, you know, perfectly healthy and okay. I think you guys should see that I am still struggling and I still feel and have those thoughts still. But that, you know, I, I'm willing to persevere through it. And, you know, that's what the one thing I hope you guys get out of it um, today. So I stand up here willing to be transparent, transparent for you all to see that these are the consequences to not loving yourself enough. Yes, it is so easy to put your own needs aside if your day's concern consists of providing for your family, 
and taking care of yourself emotionally or mentally is seen as a secondary or even a luxury for your, yourself. But when God has created human beings to love and be loved, it has to start with ourselves first. How can we show love, true love, and compassion for our Father, our family, and for our friends to its fullest capacity, when to our core we show anything but that? Amen. Communication, use your support system, or create one if need be, but do it for yourself because you deserve it, and seek help if you need to. Uh, don't let your ego get the best of you, because trust me, I've done that a lot, and deny, and deny God and his work of the rise and the fall. Pick yourself up again. Be resilient to the sometimes awful, but sometimes joyful world he has created for us. I just want to close her part in this. I went out to breakfast with her in January. And I said, good night, girl. Did you get a tattoo? Because <laughs> you know I'm, and I'm not her dad. And I just, I, and I had her explain to me her tattoo, and I think it would be great to finish this part. Go to your tattoo and explain it. <laughs> Okay, so I, um, it's kind of hard to see, but I, it's of a woman, and um, it's supposed to be the wind, and she's kind of going with the wind, like Pocahontas. If any of you guys have seen Pocahontas, um, there's a scene in the movie where she's standing on top of a cliff, and um, she's, she's so in the moment, and uh, she's feeling everything around her and the breeze and the leaves coming around her. And I just, even as a kid, I always admired how free she was. You know, and I wanted to be just like that, you know, and just like her. And um, I had gone it two months after I had gone out of the hospital. And I just wanted to just be that. I wanted to be free from what I had felt so caged in by my own self, you know. And so... Um, and what does the scripture say? Um, this one says, your faith has to be greater than your fears. And... Um, oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you. <laughs> think it's a coincidence that you're here because this is anointed by the Holy Spirit because there's some people that when we look at a story like this and we're in a series called every day is a resurrection that we realize that by her own omission that her story of her resurrection is still in process isn't it? like all of ours all of our stories are in process and so this is one of the things of restoration. For the beginning of her restoration, we discovered that she needed a community of people that don't BS. And that was going on in the hospital. 
So there's no way you can say, hey, everything's great. We're in the hospital, okay? We're in a lockdown facility. We can be real. And this is where the church needs to be. And so it's scary. It's scary to share your story. But when Rachel said, I would like to share my story, I knew she was going to be freed from shame. I knew she was about to be freed from all this pain that she's carrying because it's just so powerful. So many of us connect with you. That's why you got such an applause. Last week I talked about the illusion of individualism and how we are such an individualistic society that we know how to project and isolate ourselves. And when we isolate ourselves and pretend that we have it all together, we hide, don't we? In fact, if you look on the screen, we often isolate ourselves out of shame. Shame becomes our master, and we become its servant. And it tells us that we are hopelessly flawed, and that people will recoil from us in disgusted, disgust if they only knew who we really are. But here's the thing. In order to do that, what needs to be our master is what we call shame. In fact, on the screen, shame has a way of introducing other masters into your life. Once shame has effectively isolated you, if it then provides you a secret ways for you to soothe your lonely isolation. These things that seemed like good friends at first be, because they, are, they bring temporary relief from the pain and turn into monstrous masters over our lives. The more we turn to them, the more... They enslave us with addictions and compulsive behavior, and the more trapped we become by them, and the more shame rules over our lives. This is why a lot of people struggle with pornography. This is why a lot of people struggle with certain addictions. Even addictions are good, like food. Because some food can be comforting and hiding something that we're ashamed for. So we struggle with our weight, we struggle with obesity, or the opposite, we have eating disorders and we want to fit in and we can't lose weight, uh, gain weight, so we constantly lose it and lose it and lose it. And the scripture today in John chapter 15, where Angela really was touched, and, and thank you, Angela, for sharing what you did. This is such an awesome passage because in John chapter 15, 15 says, I do not call you servants any longer because a servant does not know its master's doing, but I have called you friends. Amen. Jesus has every right to call you followers or a servant because he is the Lord of our master, but Jesus doesn't. In fact, if you look back on the screen, Jesus wants to be our Lord because that is the first step in breaking free of all the other ruthless evil masters that force us to serve them. And the first master Jesus needs to be free, free us is from shame. See, watch this. You guys know the story of Adam and Eve. Shame is just a byproduct of them, too. See, the problem is, they had the sinful nature like we all do, and the first byproduct of sin is shame. And so what happened? They hid. They didn't want to see God. They didn't want to see anybody. Well, there's only two of them on the planet, if you think about it. But they hid. And so we always hide when we have shame. We put on this persona. I have it together. How you doing? Praise the Lord. I can't be any better. And we project. And so when we project, they project. And so nobody sees the deep pain 
and more. Because God loves us so much. It's, it's, just, it's just fascinating. This is why the, one of the slogans of the 12-step program, and I have such an addictive personality that I follow this 12-step program all the time. If you look on the screen, it says one of the slogans of the 12-step movement is this. You are sick as your secrets. Shame is a perpetuated sin. It is a master that makes us a servant to our sin. So Jesus provides his way out. He chooses to be, if we choose Jesus to be our master and continue to choose that, then shame does not become our master anymore. But you can say, hey, pastor, easy to say, but it's hard to do. This is why, and i put it on the screen, that's why Jesus chose a different relationship with us than just master and servant. He didn't choose to call you servant. Instead, he chooses to call you friend. Now think about this. He's choosing to call me friend. He's choosing to call you friend. And knowing all the stupid stuff that we've done. In fact, back on the screen, God became human in Jesus so he could befriend us. When shame is our master, we are not even friends with ourselves. Instead, we loathe ourselves. We shower ourselves with negative self-talk. We say things to ourselves that we wouldn't dare say to others. But Jesus shows up and says, I see, see you, and they're sitting in all that shame of self-loathing, and I think you are precious. I want nothing more than to be your friend. And once we know deeply that Jesus wants to befriend us, even though he already knows everything about us, we can start to befriend ourselves. We start to see ourselves with all of our mess as precious and worthy of love. And that changes everything. Hey, Nicholas, are you here? Come here. Yeah. I have permission to do this. He knows what I'm going to do. And you may be uncomfortable with this, but let me make a point. Nicholas, how old are you? Twelve. Let's say Nicholas, something happened to him at eight years old that he's kept quiet. Now, a lot of us have gone through different difficult stuff. But let's say I did this. Nicholas, this is your fault. You're an idiot. And I, this is an embarrassment to me. And I don't want anyone to know this. And shame on me. Now, how many want to kick my butt right now? <laughs> okay. But this is what you tell yourself every day. I'm not good enough. I need to tell you the secret. I'm stupid. I'm an idiot. We all have an inner child in us. That some of our worst enemies are ourselves. The words we say to ourselves. That's a voice you need to stop. Because your voice and my voice is the one that constantly puts us to shame. Because somebody, when we were young, a father figure, whatever it is, shamed us. <coughs> so isn't it how we treat ourselves? Shame becomes our master. And Jesus wants to be our master to say, dude, I love you. And you got to stop listening to these voices. Because I created you. I died for you. I know everything part of you. And you're my buddy. 
and we're going to walk this through, and we're going to make this through. On the screen, that friend in Jesus, when we can't love ourselves because of our shame, Jesus says, I choose you, I love you, you are my friend. Jesus gives us this incredible path from fear and shame. Now, how does he do it? Look on the screen. It has to start there. We have to know we are loved by God. And once we are loved by God, we can begin to love ourselves. We can start to see ourselves as God does, as they, as that wounded little child in need of a loving, comforting, healing friend. And as we begin to love and befriend ourselves the way Jesus loves and befriends us, we can begin to see and respond to others with the same compassion. This is why the scripture says, this is my commandment that you love one another and I have loved you. No one has, no one has greater love than this that he laid down his life for one's friend. And he says, you are my friend if you do what I command. Now when we read this, we go, dang dude, there's no way I can do this. There's no way that I can lay my life down. It's too hard. But back on the screen, this is why Jesus chooses to establish us and his friends and not his servants. Servants feel they must obey the commandments of their master, but the friendship is a whole different thing. And when you love somebody deeply, you will be gladly give your life for that person. You would do it in a heartbeat. And the only way to obey the commandment of the master, Jesus, to love, is to first allow him to befriend you. You have to let him love you. Then you, then you can start to love you. Then you can begin to love others. And then when a moment then when a moment commands you to love sacrificially, you, you are not doing it as a servant. You're naturally doing it in a heartbeat because you're doing it out of a loving friend. See, we all tend to be servants of the master of shame. And we need to step right out of the shadow and say, you know what? This is not going to be my master anymore. You know where we get shamed a lot? The church. Isn't that crazy? Religion. When people shame people, struggle to shame themselves. You know that. As a pastor, I've had people to say, shame on you. For what? And I hold that. But I don't want to be shaming people because I'm struggling with it. See, this is interesting. We need safe people. Why would Rachel call me and say, I've never shared this story with anybody, but I want to, she lives in Fontana. I'm going to come over here and share it because you're safe. We're safe. All of us want safe people. All of us deep down just want to say, will you love me for who I am and let me open up? When you gave her a standing ovation, she was pointing at me crying and I was pointing at her crying. You know what that means? You loved her. And she opened up for the very first time. That frees you from shame. That frees you. And so this is where, where it's, it gets so powerful. In fact, I really feel, and I wanted to let, if Rachel can come back up here and sit here. No one listens to me. They listen to you. If you're struggling with shame, I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit here. 
the courage that Rachel had. And let me remember I say restored in order to restore. I struggled with shame a lot. Being a pastor and being divorced was embarrassing. But in, in order to restore, restore in order to restore, I had to work through my shame. Rachel, as my ex-wife, got it. Think about that. Restored in order to restore. So if you're struggling with shame and you need prayer, I want you to stand with me and Rachel so I can pray for you. Because you need to start sharing your story. Let's pray for everyone. Father, we just thank you so much for Rachel's story. We thank you for releasing shame in our life. And we pray that each one that stood here today can be released to share their story as well. We pray, Lord, that everyone will be free and know that Jesus loves them as their friend. We just thank you, Lord, for this service. As we go into communion, we just pray, Lord, that you will continue to anoint us. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said.